Bienvenidos a Politically Pissed, el único día que Donald Trump le gusta a los mexicanos. Welcome to Politically Pissed. My name is Saeed Charbini. I'm here with my co-hosts, Eris and Katya. Say hi, y'all. What's up? What's good, y'all? And uh, we have a special guest here, Nikki Yalik. He's a... Say hi. Hey, everybody. So, Nikki, tell us a little bit about yourself, some organizations you worked with, some stuff you've done. I mean, I, I want to start, obviously, with uh, when you passed... What's the, the amendment to the party platform? Yeah, the anti defrom the anti defrom amendment back uh, last April. To, yeah, uh, excuse me, the county or the state assembly. Sorry, so that's when I really like started getting to know you, and you do a lot of work with school work, uh, school boards, and stuff like that. So go ahead and tell us some organizations and stuff that you work with, some stuff that you've done. Sure. Um, so I guess I probably shouldn't go too far back because I can go back to childhood when it comes to political stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I moved to Denver in 2008 to go to grad school at DU, University of Denver, and pretty much immediately after that, jumped right into working for campaigns. Um, started with Joe McClosey's Congressional in 2012 against uh, Mike Kaufman at CD6, which he came very close, um, even though a lot of people were counting him out. He did a heck of a job. Worked on a few other congressionals, locals, and then what kind of really changed things for me, honestly, I was... A lot more middle of the road politically. I was always a Democrat, but I was a lot more middle of the road up until the point that I worked for the Colorado Latinos Rides Program. I was the canvas director for the Denver chapter. And I would say that that was kind of a rad radicalizing experience. Ended up getting very close to a lot of those people. I don't know, you know, on a friendly level, not on an inappropriate level. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I got a lot, very close to those people. And... After that program ended, after the 2016 elections, and we all know the big news from that uh, event, that's basically what inspired me to run for the State House in 2018. Great honor of meeting Mr. Sherbini here. And, Mazel tov. Uh, yeah. Mazel tov. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, yeah, so I really wanted to continue basically that same focus of work, working for communities of color, immigrant communities, um, traditionally underserved communities. And running for the state house, there's not really much you can do when it comes to immigration. So that's all federal. So that's kind of how, after talking to some folks, what I can do for those communities. And I started to see what's going on in public education in Denver and nationwide. I'm sure we're going to get a lot more into this, but it's a pretty sinister mess. It's kind of the way I look at it. But that's kind of what inspired me to get into education. And then we started going after, after privatizers like Democrats for Education Reform. And I, I mean, I know there's one big partner you have, and you're wearing their shirt right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, AFL-CIO. <laughs> <laughs> They're huge on education and reform and making sure the students have a chance. Can you maybe, like, go through and tell us a few of the issues that you've seen here in Denver Public Schools, maybe just schools around the state as well, some of the big points that you have to make? Because I know that you've seen a lot of them. Yeah, so, I mean, I think pretty much everyone would tell you that it, it comes down to funding. I mean, that's not a mystery for just about every political issue. A lot of it comes down to funding. But, I mean, a lot of it kind of starts with funding, and then you look at how the funding is being used, the funds that have been allocated for public education. People generally talk about um, how schools are being privatized, how public education in general is broadly being privatized. And... The main way that we're seeing that in Denver and across the country is through the creation of charter schools. Charter schools originally, I don't know the exact timeline on this, but when charter schools were first conceptualized, the idea was really 
a laboratory for experimenting teaching techniques, learning techniques. And on a small scale, charter schools can be great. Charter schools can be very effective. However, the problem is that there's been kind of a transition to where now charter schools are basically replacing public schools. They're often either, one of the main issues that we're seeing is co-locations, particularly in Denver, where um, they don't have a particular building for a charter school. So what they'll do is they'll just put it in a building where a public school, a traditional public school is already being housed. And then over time, um, basically the loss of resources, because there's a loss of resources for the traditional public school, this all gets way too complicated sometimes. The loss of resources causes the, the grading of the school. There's this whole grading system that's used on the state level and the city level. As that grade goes down, because the financial resources are being choked off, basically... So I want to stop for a second, though, because <laughs> yeah, you I'm said that essentially... So schools are making it to where, like a tr- traditional public school has to then section off and give some of the property and buildings to a private school to operate in the same location? Basically. So you essentially have two schools in the same location? Oh, sometimes three. Right? Like, sometimes it's three or four right, schools like in one location. Has, last I heard, the Mont campus had five schools yeah. housed in the same campus. So it's like, is there different levels of treatment of those students? Is there different class styles? Like, what, what like, sure. What, how, what differentiates them? Yeah, so I mean, there's all sorts of specific examples. So a really good example is Abraham Lincoln High School, Southeast Denver, just off Federal. I'm in a co-location there. I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's a charter school co-loca- has been co-located there. And Drive, I, I think, or KIPP, something of the, yeah, that nature. It's, it is one of the major charter yeah. um, management organizations in Denver. But anyway, they co-located... And now the students at the traditional public school at ALHS, they are not allowed to go to certain parts of the school to the extent that they can actually be ticketed for trespassing. They can have their student IDs taken away. And this is purely on a mistake basis. I mean, they're not trying to do anything sinister. They're walking the same hallways they've been walking for years. That, and then going back to Montbello High School that we mentioned just a minute ago, one of the, or there's several examples actually. The lack of funding has caused some teachers to set up GoFundMe pages just for basic supplies like paper, writing utensils. So some of the students at Montbello, their playground is uh, basically a big dirt patch. And instead of like, you know, teachers or someone like that watching, they have security officers overseeing their recess period. I just, yeah, like I'm trying to think about just when you said ticketed for trespass just for walking on a different part of the same property. Like, and there's no fencing I take in between them or anything sort of to differentiate them from where they used to be. Or- you know, I'm not sure what the signage. I mean, I would hope that in the year that this stuff really peaked about a year ago when several organizations like the Cox of Today's Teachers hold a big event to sort of let the community know all this crazy stuff going on. But certainly back then, I mean, students were not, were clearly not made aware of where they could go and could not go. I have a question. So all three of you know much more about this issue than I do. And as Zara says, don't talk about something if you don't know about it. But this is just a question. Both Eris and I grew up in a DPS system. When Survived the DPS system. Yeah, let's, I, go, let's, let's go. Let's go. Let's change this. It DPS was survived the DPS system. In system. the <laughs> 2000s and 90s. Like, I actually just, I left school at 16 and got my GED and just went to community college. It was um, East at that time, what I think was really segregated at an economic and ethnic level. I think there was a very small middle class. 
and then you had the haves like whose parents making over 200,000 and then the have nots you know parents who like people whose parents are addicts and you know moving all the time and you had a small middle class and I was probably amongst them I don't even think charters were on the radar at that point at least in Denver that I knew of this was like early 2000s you know 2004 it certainly wasn't working for me it it did okay for some of my friends we could have gotten a better education in the formal system and my I also remember that it was when Columbine happened aside from that being a huge just being a tragic event and we thinking that was be the first and last major mass shooting they we always thought it would be padded down for being an inner city school at the time it was an inner city school so we we people always thought we were the bad kids and it turned out that the bad so-called bad kids were in Littleton at the higher income schools so my question is like neither Columbine or East were or are charter schools if if I'm right I think Mm -hmm. that's right so I don't I'm not sure that even the regular education system is serving people in in equity I'm not sure if they're doing the job either well, I'm Columbine's just being, a different school district, too. I, I know that, but I'm just saying it's... Uh, I, I don't know if we've totally solved the problem either with just DPS. Explain it to me. <laughs> no, I mean, I think that's fair, right? Like, public school systems are flawed. They're inherently flawed because they are built for specific types of students. Um, and there's the inequities in how we track kids into different placements and different class level within just public schools in general but i would argue that like you try to do that not necessarily on a racial basis but on an abilities basis right no um there's a lot of stuff written about segregation in schools and it's generally driven by income but income also reflects race so well and that's what i was kind of wondering with the whole segregation thing is we're talking about these multiple schools in this one property is it literally sectioning it off sectioning off the racial elements of the school like all the black kids end up somewhere or all the white kids end up somewhere that I don't or know. all the brown kids end up somewhere yeah but that would still happen in public schools right like if you go to east you are more likely to be in regular classes if you are black and that means you will be in a certain part of the school versus if you are in accelerated classes which are predominantly white um at last time i checked and then you have ap classes which are more white but and affluent aren't most of those based off of some form of testing which i mean i guess you can go back to and say nope. is racist. <laughs> but i mean you want kids that seem to be able to function at a higher level to be able to move to a higher level regardless of the race or whatnot yes you want so. that to happen however that's not how it's reflected in the school system like that's the problem mm-hmm. there's no formal testing to say that you should be an accelerated student versus a regular student now, AP is a little bit different. I was, I was going to say, I'm thinking of AP because that's the system I remember growing up with. And AP, it wasn't necessarily because of your skin color. It was, are you actually really smart? Yeah. And AP, there's some level to say it's merit-based. But at the same time, the cost is always inferred to the student. So, And there's some things you can do to get around it. But most of the cost falls onto the students for AP testing and all that but stuff. But most of the AP testing would give you, give you college credit. And the college credit costs money. I mean, the people usually have to pay anyway. You're just getting it early. Yes and yes and no, right? Like DPS picks up the bill if you are concurrently enrolled. Do they? Yeah. Okay. So so it's a yes and no. Okay. There are some resource issues to AP, right? That make it for more 
affluent students, which are usually reflective of race and color and ethnicity. But um, then different graphics. Also, yeah. if I can just add in sort of to what y'all are talking about on a broader level, um, also like a broad historical sense, <clears throat> this is kind of happening on a neighborhood community level all throughout the country. And a lot of cities um, that didn't end up having forced reintegration, forced um, forced reintegration like in the south cities like denver cities like you see in new england we still have very segregated communities yep. denver is a great example the white black and brown yeah. communities are very segregated even the black and brown communities <clears throat> are very segregated in denver and so this funding disparity and i don't want to say it's easy for them even though i do think that a lot of this is kind of intentional on their part unfortunately but i mean when it comes to reformers a lot of the funding disparity they can just sort of pinpoint which neighborhoods and just going to a specific example district one is a very very huge majority white um it's basically south central southeast denver and district one has experienced almost none of the effects of the reform movement because they are just keeping it the same way they're targeting the communities of color which are you know the communities with the least amount of agency right they're the ones who are less likely who can who can afford to go to things like public school meetings and go to board meetings and advocate for their kids to get better educations because they need to do other things like keep lights on and that's why it's essential to have organizations like our voice our schools they operate citywide but they operate mostly in northeast denver and they've played a very important role in helping them get organized up there speak up or get left behind right i have a question so my parents like this this school sh was shut down due to funding reasons and busing issues when i was a kid it's slavens elementary and junior high in southeast denver i don't know if you know where it is it's like a dartmouth university i know a lot of parents of slavens i don't know exactly where it is okay people decided to start moving into the houses in my parents neighborhood and it went from a middle class neighborhood into a very upper class neighborhood and People, you can see by the cars and the people, and the people are pretty inconsiderate and just parking like <laughs> they just park anywhere they want to in our in our yards and stuff like that. It's almost Denver in general now, though. It is, <laughs> it is, but it's also very frustrating because it's totally changed our neighborhood and it's well, it's been gentrified, and like you see all these kids who are getting an incredible education and. It, but it's almost a little island, and it's not a charter school; it's a public school, and like, it's almost surreal. <laughs> I don't. I just don't know if you ever. But then they don't. These kids, once they graduate eighth grade, their parents send them to uh, private schools. They all go to private schools, so it's a, it's a very odd like phenomenon that's happening I mean, over there. It's not necessarily odd in the sense of property taxes pay for the schools. So if the if the area is more affluent, they're higher property taxes. They pay more money for the school and schools benefit from it i mean it is dps it's the entire public school system here but if that's where the people are with the money that's where they're put the nice schools i guess so it's just it's just yeah but i mean it's resulting in an inequitable system which exactly since yeah. brown board's board of education is supposed to be illegal but that's the whole point of us being here talking about it well yeah i guess they're giving us yeah. something to do probably right? <laughs> <laughs> easier if we didn't have to i guess yeah but i mean um since we are talking about charter schools we have poll lists polis likes charter schools how do you reconcile the fact that the leader um, for all fundamental purposes of the democratic party in the state of colorado is a charter school supporter i mean it's it's certainly not my favorite thing <laughs> you know it's unfortunate i mean jared polis has a lot of things going for him and i think a lot of the people that i work with honestly like just about everything else about him besides that i don't know there's other concerns but <laughs> i mean 
there's always other concerns, right? <laughs> and honestly, we could have done a lot worse. At least we don't have Mike Johnston, to be quite honest Walker with you. Walker Stapleton. Um, or, or, right. Yeah. Well, here's the right, sad part. Mike actually have been, might have been worse for education than Walker Stapleton. <laughs> yeah, he really might have, Probably, actually, yeah. just because he would have focused on it more. True. Yeah. Oh, so, you know, we could do a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> The new mantra of the Democratic Party. We could do a lot worse. <laughs> well, speaking of doing a lot worse, at the end of the year, I believe there's an election coming up for school board. Do you mind walking us through some of the candidates you like and the districts they might be representing and stuff like that? <laughs> sure. Um, might be a loaded candidates question. Candidates I like. Yeah, that's a tough one to navigate. <laughs> Off the top of my head, I don't think that there's any candidate I don't like. I can run through the ones that are out there real quick. So if you know them, go ahead. Well, okay. I mean, so there's at, so the at-large. At-large represents the entire city and county of Denver. There's two at-large in general and uh, one up for election this year, currently held by Allegra Happy Haynes, who is very much considered a reformer. And um, so currently we've got Tay Anderson, who he ran a couple years ago for the District 4 seat. But now he's running at-large. now he's running at-large, okay. uh-huh. right? And he announced, um, he got out way ahead of everybody else um, in terms of announcing. I think he was in September, August maybe? I think it was last August that he announced. Oh, wow. So he's in the race. Anna DeWitt is also in the race. She's a teacher, a French teacher at North High School. I mean, to be honest with you, they're both great candidates. I'm a little bit biased because I did a little bit of work, to be honest with you, for Anna. Because I think she's a great candidate. But, I mean, Tay's a good candidate, too. Strict five. Can, can, can I go back? Do you think? I mean, at the risk of getting him mad at me, do you think Tay is mature enough to actually accomplish this? Like to to be able to do the job appropriately? And loaded? I think that Tay. I mean, Tay understands the issues very well. One thing that I really have to say I appreciate about him is that he and I share a focus on Democrats for Education Reform. That organization is kind of the boss at the end of the level that we have to defeat so there's there's one area there's one area that i certainly would agree with tay on i like tay a lot i guess in general i probably often prefer candidates with a little bit more i don't know Uh, let me put it this way i mean when i ran for office and i've even made this comment to you when i ran for office last year and now i look back on it, it was a great experience but I'm 33 years old now. I was 32 at the primary, and I, I, I still kind of wonder if I might have been a little too young, to be honest with you. Oh. How old was Alex? Alex <laughs> Belt does 37, I think. Not that much older. No, not much. Yeah, I mean, he and Megan were both 37, 38. So, um. Anyway, so that's the, the at-large. <laughs> I still see that, that kid around all the time. Which one? The one Megan shares with somebody. Oh, uh, the one she started she off saying was her kid and then wasn't her yeah, kid. Yeah, like, what is with her and Jesse Danielson? I don't know. I don't know. They, they just carry that prop around. What is with people? Do not carry children as props, people. You have to be careful not to overuse a prop. Exactly. Like, if you want to have a kid, that's great, but do not use that as a prop. <laughs> He's an adorable kid, though. <laughs> oh. I'm obviously never running for office. Okay. Okay. So... That's at large. <laughs> Let's talk about other yes, districts. so yeah. at large. So the other two districts that are up, there's two districts. District 1, that's currently held by Ann Rowe. She is the president of the school board, and she is uh, definitely also considered one of the reformers. I think that I think that she's still very closely tied in with Defer actually on their staff, but I'm not totally sure about that. Not as much as uh, Barbara O'Brien, right? No, or yeah. not as much as Barbara O'Brien. <laughs> Although Defer has taken a lot of that stuff off their website so that we can't, uh, so that we can't find out. Chats. But yeah, it looks like. 
And actually, you know, I left out about I left out several at large people because there's a bunch of reformers yeah. running. It's cool. I mean, obviously, you don't um, care enough for them, so yeah. So, yeah, I'm just kind of focusing on the the worthwhile ones. <laughs> so District One, there's uh, looks like we're gonna have two candidates on the pro public ed side. A fellow named Scott Balderman, who's a dad. There's a one guy's dad, one's a mom. Scott Balderman, who lives sort of on the western edge of the district. I don't know a whole lot about him. Seems like a really nice guy. He's planning on self-funding his campaign, so certainly ought to make some things easy for him. Doesn't have to worry about making all those calls. (laughs) Um, I have not interacted as much with Radhika Nath, who I don't think... I'm not exactly sure where she is. Yeah, yeah, she is. Uh, her campaign is going. I've heard a lot of great things about her. Honestly, a lot of the people that I work with, that I've worked with in public, my public education action team and other organizations, they really like Radhika. So I'm hoping to get to know her a little better. Okay. And then District 5. District 5 is going to be a very interesting one. So far, I believe the only non-reformer who's announced is Julie Bonuelos. Okay. And Julie ran, uh, she ran for at-large two years ago. So, yeah. And, man, that was a whole, honestly, a whole can of worms that we can get into. (laughs) You know, the thing about Julie, I I honestly think Julie is a very strong candidate. I think she would be a great school board representative. I, the concern, you know, just to be perfectly honest, when it comes to, to Julie, and it's not really so much my concern, it's that there's... A lot of the people that Julie works with are people that terrify a lot of other activists in the education community. What, what do you mean by terrify? Are they overzealous? Or? So, so I'll just go into a little bit of the history. Why not? So, why not? Basically, there's a couple of past school board members that a lot of the past history of the last several years kind of revolve around: Jeannie Kaplan and Andrea Merida. I'm just going to share the part of the history that I know because there's just so much to this and I really got heavily involved just in the last few years. Andrea and Jeannie served on the school board together. They were once very close friends. They had a falling out. I don't know the details of that. Basically what happened is that a lot of people see the 2017 at-large election as kind of being a proxy war that played out between Andrea and Jeannie. Andrea supporting Julie Bonuelos, Jeannie supporting Robert Speth. I mean, the main reason that that particular thing is a concern to the community at large and to activists like myself is that we really need to avoid splitting the vote. Defer is very, very good. The reformers in general, they're very, very good at picking a candidate, settling on them, funneling huge amounts of money to them. They're very politically smart when it comes to DPS races. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying we're not politically smart on our side, but we've got a lot of passionate people, and sometimes we've got more than one that wants to jump into a race, and sometimes you split the vote, and that's what happened in the at-large last, uh, in 2017. Barbara O'Brien should not have won that race. She had 40, like right around 40% of the vote. So, But because they split the vote on the other side. Right, yeah. right because Julie Bonuelos and Robert Speth split the vote. Basically, that kind of boils down to Andrea. Andrea has a very long and storied history in Denver and with activists. I honestly have only interacted with Andrea once that I can remember. Um, I had coffee with her. We had a decent, perfectly nice conversation. But Andrea does have a history of some very intense interactions with with her friends and her enemies. And this just created a lot of concern. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what ha- what happens in District 5 and if anyone else comes out of the woodwork. And are those the only districts that people are running in? Yeah, those are the three districts. Seven are, okay. seven in general, seven in total, and three up for election in 20. Should we grab the popcorn? <laughs> it's going to be crazy. I mean, honestly, I don't know how much y'all want me to just keep talking about this stuff, but there's it's this fun. whole process ongoing right now, um, a coalition process that I actually 
excuse me, that I actually started back in August. It's a coalition of several organizations um, supporting traditional public ed, fighting against reform, basically trying to put together a slate of candidates for this year, a community-oriented slate of candidates. And it's just become a whole mess, <laughs> to, be quite, to be quite honest with you. I think that I've thought a lot about this, about my role in it. I've stepped back from it in the last month and a half. But, you know, I've thought a lot about this, and I think the community does need if this coalition is going to go around go around claiming to be a community oriented coalition then the community should know what they're up to you know it's 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 becoming really messy right now and what's interesting is that this is just what's happening on our side we haven't even <laughs> gotten to fighting deeper and the reformers yet so well before we do be a, quick you know just a, for some of the people who are listening you throw out traditional ed and you're throwing out reform Please just explain to the people what you are mean by the two. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah. So just to be clear, so it's, it's actually kind of a little bit easier to explain what reform. So education reform is a movement. It's probably about 15, about 12, 15 years, uh, last 12, 15 years is when it's really gotten going. And it's basically been, been defined by this transition from traditional public schools that are completely funded, that are entirely funded by taxpayer dollars, to these charter schools that are partially, um, usually mostly funded by taxpayer dollars, partially funded by private dollars, and then overseen by private entities. So reform movement is pushing the expansion of charters, um, also the use of private school vouchers, which is another example of um, an intensive privatization, basically just giving people the ability to use public funds to attend private schools. So that's basically what education reform is. And then, you know, when I talk about traditional education, it's usually we tend to focus mostly, there's kind of two main areas I would say that our side focuses on. One is equity, uh, demographic equity in public education that goes for both students, educators, all professionals working in public education, and then also teachers, supporting the profession of teaching. And then also, I mean, of course, making sure that teachers are adequately paid and resourced. And then specific to Denver, things that we're seeing in the transition of the last 10, 15 years is that educators in our schools are losing a ton of power in the administrative process. They basically have very, very little voice at this point. Eris, what what are you doing your thesis on? Is it related to this? No, no. Mine's is a whole camel worms on adult learners, but... Okay. <laughs> so I want to talk about the taking away the powers a little bit. Like, what sort of leeway did they have prior to all of that, like as far as administrators and stuff like that, where you're talking about that? What kind of stuff could they do before that they can't do now due to, the, like, charter schools and everything like that? Whatever you, yeah. I mean, the, <clears throat> excuse me, the area of that that I kind of tend to focus on the most, that's a question that I would pose more to the OVOS activists, people like that, but very closely related Which to activists? that question. I'm oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, our Voice, Our Schools that right. I mentioned OVOS. earlier. OVOS is a, yeah, very active organization in Northeast Denver for public education. Um, but yes, yeah, so going back to your point, the area that I tend to focus on the most, going back to Mike Johnston, who we were discussing a few minutes ago, the things that he is most well known for in Colorado is being the person behind Senate Bill SB 191 in 2010. And Senate Bill, Senate Bill 191 did a lot of things, but a couple of the big ones were basically it tied everything, all school funding, um, teacher performance, student performance, everything is tied to testing. And because everything is tied to testing, that took away a great deal of teachers' power in collective bargaining. Took away a great deal of power from the teachers' unions, the Colorado Education Educators Association, and the Denver Classroom Teachers Association. Yeah, because they couldn't bargain based on 
you know, other values besides just these basic statistical numbers. Yeah. And I will also just know on a practical level for teachers, when you are sitting in a classroom, it affects the way in which you can teach. It makes sure that administrators are pushing for you to teach specifically to testing, which yeah. creates a issue with cultivating and teaching into the demographic in which you are in. And it means that you are limited in what you are really going to be able to present to people. So you might not be able to present materials that will further someone's understanding because that is something that they can relate to and read about. And it will still be hitting all those metrics of, you know, fostering reading, writing, learning, all of those things, but you can't do it in a way that is more holistic and more geared to the community in which you are teaching it. And if I can just go back to funding real quick for a second, because this is kind of what I was mentioning at the very, very beginning when I was saying that this, I kind of look at this as being sinister because you look at charter schools, charter schools, legally, charter schools cannot make a profit in Colorado, but the organizations that manage them can. So that's part of why I say this is kind of a money grab. A lot of what's going on in the reform movement and going back to SB 191 and testing, these organizations like Kaplan that administer all this testing mm -hmm. make an absolute fortune off of it. And meanwhile, you have teachers and parents who are constantly you know, upset and frustrated because their kids are being pulled away from their normal curriculum so that they can get ready for these standardized tests. And when we talk about education funding, and I want to talk a little bit about how Tabor goes into that and statewide funding. Is there statewide funding at all or anything for schools? Does Tabor play a role at all? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, yes, Tabor does play a role. I don't know exactly how the entire nexus of funding works when it comes to public education. But I mean, certainly Tabor does play a role. But then there are certain credibility issues, frankly, when it comes to the way the public school funds are used right now in Colorado, because, you know, we keep throwing more and more money at them. And things don't seem to be getting better. So that's why we had, you know, Amendment 73 last year that all the superintendents came together and put, to, put together this great bill to inject all this money it was defeated because, you know, a lot of voters just don't really have faith in the people that are currently deciding where this money goes. Okay, let's talk money in the 2018 uh, race. Senate District 32. Let's... That's your boy, Robbie. <laughs> it is my boy, Robbie. Yeah, I don't think he received funding from DFER, did he? No, no I actually, so. I think Defer spent a ton of money against, against him. Yeah. yeah, they spent a lot of money on Zach Newman. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and like, okay, if I were a candidate and I wanted to receive money from Defer or from traditional public school people, wh how would I go about that? I mean, I think probably a lot of the traditional avenues. You know, a lot of the money that a lot of the money that the reformers spend tends to be on the soft money, dark money side. It's not um, directly contributed to the candidates. A lot of it is done through independent expenditure committees. They set up, um, not supposed to be coordinating with candidates, although we know that often is not the case. <laughs> I've heard it was a pretty high number with uh, Zach. I think with Zach it was over 100,000. It was a lot, yeah. 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 I just, so I guess the answer to the question is you don't necessarily have to do anything because you're not supposed to do anything to get that support, but if you just say the right things, they probably just support you then. Yeah, I mean, they can make small hard side donations, but, you know, all the big soft side stuff, I mean, they're technically not supposed to coordinate them. Either side, they're going to come back and ask for that favor later if you're elected. I mean, you can always point to how much they supported you on the soft side and be like, now do what we say, but, I mean, you can always say no. Well, and this actually came up last year when I was running for, and Saeed was there. This is probably one of the most entertaining days of my campaign <laughs> when uh, there was a candidate's forum toward yeah. the very end of the campaign. 
And it was around the time that uh, Alex Valdez, who ended up winning the election, um, Defer gave him around thirty, thirty-five thousand. And, and just to be clear, I mean, I, built, I bear Alex no ill will. He's a perfectly, perfectly nice guy. But at the time, uh, they had given him a bunch of money, and so I brought it up at the forum, and we had a conversation about it afterward where I, I told like Alex, that. you know, if if, uh, if you didn't ask for this money, if this isn't your attitude, you're not in line with Defer, then I think the thing you should do is to publicly denounce them. And to me, I mean, that, that to me is the answer. If, you, never if you're accepting Defer money and you don't want it, then, then tell everybody that. Otherwise, I feel like we have every right to assume you're a defer person. And give it, give the money back. Uh, so well, no, it was never given to him directly. Yeah. Yeah. But was, you can, you can still denounce it. You can be yeah, like, yeah, exactly. I don't support Absolutely. me. They, they paid for like commercial advertisements. They paid for like internet advertisement and stuff like that. Things that he has no real control over. But like Harris is saying, he could say, I don't agree with them. They're supporting me, but I have nothing to do with that. I don't like them. I don't want any part of it. I believe some candidates actually did return checks from certain entities. Some have, yeah. Not yeah. just Defer, but other entities. Yeah. And in Senate District 34 that overlaps with HD5, um, Julie Gonzalez, she yeah, had Defer money on her behalf, and of. she publicly denounced yeah. them. So. It's not that hard. It, yeah. re- it really isn't. Um, people just make it harder. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. I think we've covered education pretty well here. Uh, I think you've given us some really good stuff to work for. Hopefully, everybody pays attention to the upcoming school board elections. And Yes, it is very important. It really is. The state of traditional public education, I mean, not only is it degrading rapidly, and it's getting to a point where it's going to be, it, it's scary how much effort it's going to take to reverse it, but we have to think of the long-term consequences for society, for for everybody, up and down, no matter what income level you are. This is going to have a major effect on this country. Yeah. Well, no, anytime somebody starts investing hundreds of thousands of dollars into any area of political life that is an area you should be paying attention to and so education yeah. is definitely one, one especially true. since school board candidates aren't paid right right, uh, right. school board yeah, yeah uh, board members aren't paid so yeah like goes to Richard Pryor when you were talking about before yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah when a lot of money goes into a job man <laughs> nobody gets paid for it gotta ask some questions yeah. <laughs> exactly alright well I think we've covered it pretty well do you guys want to move into final thoughts then we're getting pretty close to some time here. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Does anybody have one they want to start with? Goal! Yes. Cool, man. All right. Well, so we are recording this on Cinco de Mayo. Or if you are a unenlightened and complete idiot, you were celebrating Cinco de Derby. <laughs> First off. Or May the 4th. Yeah, well, I'm okay with people who are doing May the 4th because, you know, Cinco de Derby is this cultural appropriation bullshit. So, fuck all you people in your salmon-colored pants with your sombreros just capitalizing on everybody else's culture because you don't care. Nobody want, man, we ain't even allowed to go to the Kentucky Derby. And, I mean, well, I say we ain't allowed, they sing My Sweet Kentucky Home, and uh, there's a reference to the darkies out there picking some cotton, and I don't think none of us want to go there and be hearing that song. So, guess what? Yo, fuck y'all. Okay. <laughs> I have no idea how to follow he, that. He up. said that he he did say he saw somebody wearing like salmon pants and everything for the derby, but had a big sombrero on. Yo, Sierra sucker so, jack everything. I was, mad, like, I was mad. Uh, <laughs> I could totally see that. In the America of 2019. <laughs> I guess my final thought is 
Game of Thrones, do something right. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, turn on the lights tonight, please. Right? Like, can we watch the show actually happen? No. Um, <laughs> yeah, Arya's a badass. That's my thought. Hopefully, uh, we see a continuation this week. Okay. And it's way off topic, but yeah. Uh, but um, if you like, you can do one, or you can leave it with the one that, at the end there where you said. Uh, mm-hmm. Do you have anything on your mind? Do you want to go for one? Um, uh, no. no, that's what I was saying because uh, you wrapped it up really well with the education stuff right before we went into ours, so I might be able to move that over a bit. Or, or I'll drop the final thoughts. Whatever I said, we're moving the final thoughts right before. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, guns close doors to the system. Yeah, fuck them when we say when I'm with them. We're solid and we don't need to kick them. This is no southeast and western. Yeah, guns close doors to the system. Yeah, fuck them when we say when I'm with them. We're solid and we don't need to k